This is your award-winning BCFM on 93.2, 24 hours a day. So the Save Brislington Meadows campaign, perhaps if you've been involved, uh, if you've been in Bristol for a while, if you've been involved in um, environmental projects or um, political news in Bristol, you may have heard about the Brislington Meadows. But we're going to do Dougal's from the Save Brislington Meadows campaign. We're going to find out all about it and what the current situation is. So Dougal, where are the Brislington Meadows and why are they important? Why should we care about them? Okay, so, so the simple answer is they're in Brislington, but actually they are tucked away and very hidden um, they don't have very many touch points with roads so you can't see them or uh, easily find them um, if you don't know where to look in terms of actually where they are if you're traveling out of bristol on the bath road heading towards bath um, you come up a hill out of brislington village and on the, your left hand side there's a whole load of car garages and um, the brislington industrial estate and the meadows are at the land at the top of that hill, uh, bounded by School Road, Broomhill Road, and the industrial estate. And there's quite a sizable area. The area that's being developed is um, 9.7 hectares, uh, so, you know, 30 football pitches, something like that. Oh, wow, that is a lot when you Um, put it like that, yeah. And um, the reason why we're trying to protect that space is because the the land was designated as an SNCI in the 1990s. Uh, an SNCI is a site of na- nature conservation interest uh, and the clue is in the name. It's got nature that's of fairly high value and the site should be conserved to protect that nature. Um, since that time, obviously, we've had uh, a greater awareness of climate impact. Bristol City Council was the first council to, to declare a climate emergency and along with declaring a climate emergency has then sa- stated that they want to protect a third of um, land for um, nature conservation and to increase tree cover in Bristol by 50% by 2050 um, and also an aim to involve up to a third of the population with nature activities over that time as well. Um, the council have changed their position on development of the meadows since, oh, okay. yeah. since it was put into the local plan in 2014. They've been changing their mind. Yeah, yeah. and I think that reflects their aims in terms of the climate emergency and trying to preserve more green space for people to enjoy. We know that green space is really good for people for, for physical health, walking, sports. Um, and also for mental health. Um, the Meadows site um, was landlocked. You couldn't physically get into it um, with vehicles uh, until about 2016 when the Brislington Police Station was closed and the council sold the land the police station was on, which provide would, for the development, provide an access corridor onto the site. Oh, okay. So the so the police station's now gone, so that developers could get in and um, get get trucks and so on in for it, building indeed. if needs and, be. And um, you know that's a concern for local residents. Broomhill Road is already heavily congested. A lot of people come through Broomhill coming off the A4 to get into um, St Philip's, Avon, Meads, uh, and and East Bristol. So we get a lot of traffic anyway. Adding. 260 houses onto that road is going oh, to add yeah, of course, with all 300, their cars 400 as well. <laughs> new cars. Um, I, think the, I think there are parking spaces on site for something like 350 cars. That's going to 
adds to our traffic problems, uh, adds to the pollution, because a lot of those cars are going to be sat idling, waiting in turn to get out onto the road, and then waiting at the end of the road to get onto another road, because... Um, we already have heavy congestion. Yeah, I suppose, but some people would say, well, they have to be built somewhere. You know, if there's a bit of green space, what's so special about this bit? You said it's a site of natural conservational interest, but what is unique about the Brislington Meadows in particular? Um, This has been a lot of the discussion in the appeal over the last two weeks. Uh, There are some hedgerows in the Meadows site, um, which are actually really, really old. Um, We... uh, have been researching this very heavily as part of trying to support the council um, in, in the appeal. Uh, we are a rule six party, which means that the beef, the, the, the appeal is between Homes England and the city council, um, but we are allowed to st- st- stand in the courtroom, in the inspector's room and um, introduce evidence and cross-examine witnesses. So you're sort of like an ally supporting the council We're working in this. with the council, okay, yes, okay. Very, very much so. Um, it, it's they're doing 90% of the horsepower the work uh, we, we're trying to add in some elements that they are, aren't raising um, a lot of that is around the nature value of the site um, so going back to those hedgerows we can trace them back to 1712 in documentation so we what, know like 300 over 300 over years 300 ago. years ago. oh my goodness and um when they were described in that documentation the language of the time describes them as old which doesn't necessarily sound significant but in in the court of the time old was considered to be beyond the knowledge of living people so it's likely almost more like 400 of years yes, old tantalizingly close to 1600 oh, if we wow. could prove that the hedgerows existed in 1600 they would be declared an ancient woodland and no development is allowed on ancient woodlands through through planning law Oh my, and is that because of like the biodiversity that hedgerows bring or what's, yeah? V- very much so. Um, I, I guess biodiversity exists on many levels. Um, there's a general thing about a hedgerow as an environment. You know, they're very attractive to certain small birds, for instance, need them for nesting. Lots and lots of other things use them for re- refuge, you know. Uh, rabbits, other other mammals will all live in hedgerows, but feed out on the on the meadow meadowland. Um, so, as an environment, hedgerows are really precious, and the hedgerows on site are of the the highest sort of pre- value in terms of environmental uh, value because they're very old hedgerows. They have mature trees in them. And so are we talking like oaks or beech? I, I don't mixture, know very much about trees, but yeah. A, a mixture. I mean, the, the, the hedgerows consist mostly of um, hawthorn, blackthorn, but then they have oaks and other trees growing up through them, which is again a sign of age because it takes a long time for a, a tree um, to become established. Yeah. Um, so, so from a, a biodiversity perspective, under planning law, they, they hold the highest um, sort of level of value. But that in itself probably isn't enough to protect the site. Within those hedgerows are a number of ancient veteran trees. So these are trees that are older than 300 years old. Um, The tree um, expert that the council brought in is very knowledgeable and has even written some of the... um, been involved in some of the 
documentation that planners use so he's actually written the manual or oh, helped so write he the like manual. wrote the rule book almost uh, some parts of it yeah. at least um uh, a hugely knowledgeable gentleman and he's identified i think now 23 trees that are truly veteran so very very old and very very unique um most of them are hawthorns uh, and hawthorn trees generally don't get to grow old Often they're used in hedging and people change and remove hedges. Uh, often they're in grazing land and they get, um, uh, you know, cattle will chew on them, rub on them and otherwise affect so them. It's, so it's very, so these are quite rare specimens to yeah. have Hawthorne that's this old. He, he says they're some of the most impressive speci- specimens he's seen. Oh my goodness. In 20 odd years of his career being an expert in We're going to get all the, trees. all the Hawthorne fan clubs are going to start <laughs> coming to Brislington to see uh, these trees. Well, in some respects, it does make them probably nationally important. You know, if, wow. if they're that old and um, that of that, that stature. Hawthorne is not a large tree. It doesn't grow into an amazing thing like an oak tree that's 30, 40, 50 metres high. They tend to be sort of quite small trees. Um, these trees have been part of a hedge, so they've been worked and managed over time. Uh, hedge laying basically takes a tree that's trying to grow up white, chops halfway through it and folds it down to make it run horizontally and that's what forms the hedge and these trees because they've been around for several hundred years have had that process done to them time after time after time you might lay a hedge every 15 or so years um which means that at the base where they come out of the ground their trunks have become massive you know they're huge you can't put your arms around them oh my goodness for a species that normally would have a trunk that wouldn't grow wider than my waist Right. Yeah. And so, I mean, so it's historically important because these these hawthorn trees have sort of, you know, been crafted throughout the last few several hundred and, years. And the other thing about veteran trees is that as they grow, they develop their own local ecology. So you get all sorts of um, fungi, bacteria, molds that start to colonise the wood and live within the tree. So often a lot of the biodiversity is hidden. You can't see it until the fungi or, or, or mushroom fruits and some of them may only fruit every two three five ten years so you you don't really know what you've got within that ecosystem because anytime you look at it you're only seeing a, a very narrow window of what might be might also be in there amazing um, and just before we go to a song um you were telling me earlier something about you like you've also been using lasers to understand the area better which sounds well, very well, science <laughs> science fiction Can you we've say been more? using mapping provided by other people uh, it's, it's called lidar and basically you fly a plane over an area and you fire a grid of lasers at the ground um it's the sort of thing that they use on time team Oh, wow. <laughs> um, and, and what it gives you is a very accurate, detailed map of the contours of the ground. And the lasers go through stuff like bushes, undergrowth. So you can end up with a, a very clear picture of what's underneath things like hedgerows, which naturally are quite thick and you can't really see into very well. Um, and using LIDAR on looking at the LIDAR for Brislington Meadows, we can see that the hedgerows. Uh, sit on what's called a lynchette step and it's basically an effect of working and ploughing the land tends to push soil down the hill and it all builds up at the hedgerow so you have a height change between the field below which is lower because all of its soil has gone downhill again and the field above which has been built up by this this process of ploughing and again you know that that's 
quite unique. I'm sure at one point Bristol had that all over. But as Bristol has grown, more and more of it has been dug up and built upon. So there are very, very few sites like this still in Bristol. So there's a sort of a, a social historical value to, to um, preserving that so that people can see that what it used to be like many years ago. What, what, what's the current legal situation and the current planning situation? Because there's someone wants to build, someone wants to build a lot of homes on them, but is that going to happen? So Dougal, tell us, you were saying, so they first came under threat in 2014, is that right? Yeah, um, all councils are required to make future provision for housing. And one of the ways that they do that is that they have a 10-year plan and the plan sets out areas that currently aren't built up that could possibly be considered for future development. Mm. And in 2014, Brislington Meadows were put into the local plan that runs for 10 years. So we're in the ninth year of it right now. There will be a new plan coming out towards the end of 2024 that will replace this plan. And Bristol Council has, in my view, rightly set out to remove the housing allocation on the Meadows site in 2024 if it's not developed beforehand. So that will stop any future possibility of development and preserve the site as a, a nature, as a site of nature conservation and uh, public utility for walking for health and, and, and that sort of thing. So when you said earlier that the council had sort of changed their mind about the site, this is what you're referring to, like pre- previously they they had put that it's it's currently in the local plan as yes you can build here mm-hmm. but um in the next couple of years it looks like it that permission will be removed is that right that's right as long as it the appeal is rejected and homes england don't get permission to build on it right now so um, so tell us about the history of this homes england plan so they want to build on it because because the council gave them sort of a tick and were like gave the area a tick and was like yes this can be built on so homes england got interested yeah. um is that is that right that's right um at, in 2014 uh, local residents objected to the site being put into the plan and nothing was done immediately about developing it Um, The council was under a lot of pressure, and still are for that matter, to provide particularly um, social housing. We have many, you know, many thousands of people who are in insecure accommodation and we really desperately do need social housing, whether that be more council housing, more housing associations or protected rents. Um, There's a desperate need within the city for um, affordable housing and and I totally recognise that. Um, the council started talking with Homes England, which is the property development arm of the UK government. Uh, they don't build houses, they're not a housing company, but they exist to um, promote and support development. And uh, the council weren't making much traction with commercial developers to build social housing, so they got together with Homes England um, and started talking about developing the Meadows site, I believe, around 2016. Um, as part of that, they um, closed the Brislington Police Station and made the site available as the the, the... the police station acts a bit like a cork in a bottle. There's no way of building 
the houses if you can't get onto the land and there's no way of the people living there being able to live if they can't get on and off of it. So, so is the police station, is that demolished now? So the police that's... station has been demolished and that allows access onto Broomhill Road and as we've already discussed, that's quite challenging in itself. 260 houses, there's a lot of people coming in and but out. But social housing sounds really positive. Like, is this, what, what would, what's the problem with, um, with, you know, is it sort of a third of these houses becoming social housing? So, so um, Bristol Council has a requirement for any new build that the developer build a certain number of houses for social housing. In the centre, it's 40%. Further out, it's 30%. Um, the plan as it stands is to build 260 houses on site of which one third will be classed as social housing in the con in that context social housing means 80 percent of market value so if they were being rented out they'd be rented out at 80 percent of the market rates and we already know that bristol rental rates are some of the highest in the country um way higher than an awful lot of people can comfortably afford and um, higher than many people can afford full stop. Yeah, so so a lot of... So actually, even though it'll be classed as social housing, it wouldn't actually be affordable still for a lot of people on the breadline. No, um, you know, and we're only talking about a third of those 260 houses. So we're, we're talking about 80 houses or so, 70, 80 houses. Um, and that's not enough to solve the social housing problem in Bristol. Um, the planning policy framework, which is what the appeal... I should talk about the appeal process. Um, <laughs> basically, Homes England applied to build housing, put in a planning application in at Easter time of last year. And normally housing applications have to be decided within a certain amount of time. Um, because this was a controversial site with a lot of... Um, local interest and local, local ob objections uh, the, the council quite rightly called the planning pro process uh, the planning application in so rather than being decided by a single planning officer it would be decided at a planning control meeting by a group of councillors and those processes take longer so the, the normal 14 week window kind of gets elastically stretched to, a, <laughs> to uh, allow the council to gather the information, brief the councillors and then have a public meeting to make a decision on this thing. Whilst that process was running, we got over 700 written objections oh, wow. against the planning application, um, one of the highest numbers of any recent planning application in Bristol. Yeah. And behind those 700 people who actually wrote in, there are many, many, many more who, for various reasons, didn't actually yeah. engage directly with the yeah, formal process. That's, that's a lot of supporters, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and the council said that it, that it would go to planning and we were waiting for a date at one of the planning control committees where our local councillors would be able to speak, the other councillors would be able to hear from the council planning officer and then they would make a decision. Um, Homes England got impatient basically. Uh, okay. And one of the reasons why we think they got in place is because the council took the site out of the provisional local plan, which means that once that becomes law, the ability to develop the site will go away. So when sort of that deadline, when, when is it likely that the new local plan would come into place that would uh, prevent the meadows being built on? 2024, most likely the back end of that year. So still what, another year and a half away? Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. So the Homes England sort of feel that there's a they feel there's a deadline coming and if they yeah. don't get their that if they don't get the approval before the new, lo- new local plan kicks in, then they won't do, they won't be able to build on it. Exactly that. So they put in an appeal to the planning inspectorate in London on grounds of non-determination. Basically, Bristol City Council hadn't given them an answer within the 14 weeks stated in planning. And this is very unusual. Normally, planning developers will allow the process to run, allow the council to call a meeting and make a a local decision and respect the, I guess, the autonomy and authority of the local area. In this case, they got impatient and they went back and and asked dad to make a decision (laughs) so yeah so they're sort of going over the city council's head because they want they want a decision really quickly because they're worried that if they don't get the permission by the end of by next year that they'll no longer be able to build on it and they'll be left with this land that to them has no um or little financial value And, and that in itself is is a cause for concern for us because as a local community we are very strongly opposed to this prospect and have made our opinions clear in many different ways. Our local councillors are opposed and have written objections. Our local MP is opposed and has written an objection. Our mayor has is opposed and has made statements on the subject on a number of occasions. And WECA, West of England Combined Authority, which is the regional body, is very clear that they do not get involved in local planning decisions because their view is that those decisions should be made at the local level by the local council. Oh, so it's like, so Weka are kind of saying, right, we respect that Bristol has this decision, that can will make its own decision, but, the, but Homes England are saying no, and they're going to London to try and get... To try and get this, um, get this overruled, yeah. or well, not overruled, because a decision hasn't They're been made yet. They're trying to force but... the decision in their favour at a national level. Yeah. Completely ignoring yeah. all of the local views from me as a, a local resident, all the way up to our metro mayor, who yeah. all think that that decision should have been made by the council in the council chamber. So, and what sort of the implications or ramifications if Homes England were are allowed to build on Brislington Meadows? Would that impact anywhere else in Bristol in terms of planning applications? Um, I, I think it will have a really negative impact in Brislington to start with. We'll get a lot more local pollution. We won't get more doctors, school places, dentists, surgeries, hairdressers or infrastructure to cope with the thousand people 5% uh, increase so like even on the social on yeah. the on a local neighborhood social level it's going to sort of increase it's, tensions it's going to have and... an awful lot of local pressure mm. um, we're talking about probably about 700 or so new people but that's 5% increase in the population of East Brisling uh, Brislington East so a really really big change in the amount of people with nothing to support that within the local environment and infrastructure um, we know that's going to bring a lot of pollution. We know it's going to take away green space, which you know, a lot of people tell me that being able to walk through the meadows is what kept them sane in lockdown and yes. gave them the physical activity. That's a good point, yeah. yeah it's, we know how good mm. it is uh, to have access to mm. easily, you know, within walking distance, green space for our own mm. mental health. And, and our local doctor surgeries are now prescribing that uh, as green bathing and oh. health activity to get people who are struggling physically to be more physically active and particularly people who have are struggling uh, mentally you know it, it's very there's a very proven 
well-proven connection between mental health, positive mental health, and engagement with the outdoors. You know. So, like, final couple of questions. So, what's what sort of when when will we hear? And sort of, is there anything you want our listeners to do? Is there anything we can do, or is it kind of where it's up to the inspector? We're all just going to cross our fingers and maybe hope they're listening and hope that they. Um, it's it's very much up to the inspector. Uh, the planning uh, process now is that the inspector is listening to homes england and their reasons why it should be built on bristol city council and the reasons why they think that the current plan can't be delivered Uh, and i just make it clear bristol city council isn't saying that development in principle isn't possible they say you could develop the site but the plan you have is too damaging to the local to to the, the 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 nature um and biodiversity interests on the site to um be safe possible to deliver um, and do, do, you know, do we know when we're going to hear back about the results? So there's another three, four days of inquiry happening. There's three days next week. Oh, so and then a follow-on date wow. in March. Okay. At that point, the inspector will have been presented an absolute um, mass of information. The, there was an entire table full of documentation at the beginning of the inquiry, and that's only been added to during the inquiry. Uh, and then he gets four months to make a decision. So he has four months to take away... All of the information he's been given, weigh up the various arguments from the different sides and make a decision about whether um, there's a key line in the national planning policy framework which basically states that development can only proceed if the benefits of what the development brings outweigh the harms of what it takes away. And and our view and the council's view is that the... um, local features on the site are so sort of rare and special that they must be protected and the current plan would require those 74% of the hedgerows would have to be cleared so you'd have to destroy 74% of that completely um, irreplaceable biodiversity um, in order to deliver the current plan so so our hope is that the inspector will weigh that in the balance and say 260 houses isn't worth the loss that would be um, borne by building those houses and I suspect he will if he makes a decision against uh, the plan he will put conditions in place to protect those elements and it may be that Homes England goes away and has a think and comes back with a new plan that conserves uh, those key elements um, Oh, well, we we wish you all the best. We'll be watching um, for updates, I'm sure. If um, if anyone wants to uh, stay in the loop, I'm sure you can find Save Brislington Meadows on social media. Is that right? Yeah, um, we have a Facebook group. Yeah. Um, all right. So find that. Find them on Facebook. Save Brislington Meadows. Um, we're uh, yeah, we're going to have to wrap the chat up there. But thank you so much, Duke. That was really interesting. Um, yeah, really appreciate you coming in. And uh, yeah, best of luck with the application. Well, well, thank you very much for having me. Thanks. So we're just going to finish up the show. Only got a few minutes left now with a short culture corner. And I wanted to draw attention to um, there's a screening of a film at the Cube Microplex on Monday, which looks really interesting, which is called uh, The Oil Machine. And it's all about our dependence on North Sea oil, um, how it's become sort of a core of our society, our economy, um, and now faces an uncertain future as activists and investors 
demand change. Um, is this the end of oil? Is it possible to uh, stop our dependence on oil? It's very topical, certainly, because there has been a lot of um, a lot of protests. Obviously, the Just Stop Oil protests, and uh, at the at the screening, there will be. Um, uh, a Q&A panel hosted by the Bristol Cable, including activists from Just Stop Oil, as well as someone from the University of Bristol, from Bristol Energy Network. So we're just, I'll just play you the, uh, the trailer, the audio for the trailer, and see if this is something you might be interested in. This is made of oil. 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 feel like you're up against something that's so massive that's got the support of governments and people who are so much more powerful than you we save between 10 to 20 billion barrels of oil are still out there for us to get after it represents a massive opportunity for us if all of that was found and combusted that is a huge amount of carbon dioxide just from remember the north sea the uk's north sea I feel like I got to a point where I was so desperate about what should I do, what can I do? I'm taking the UK government to court to pull the plug on public payments for big polluters. We have an addiction to oil and gas in our society. Effectively, we're living inside an oil machine. It became an engine driving forward the UK finance sector. This is made of oil. This is made of oil. Which means that people's pensions, savings and investments in the UK are actually investors in financing a future that no one wants to see, but no one really realises. What career am I going to have based off of this and where am I going to live? And what food am I going to be able to eat? I believe that what we do over the next five years will determine the future of humanity for the next millennium. And that's the trailer for The Oil Machine, which is a, a film that came out end of last year and is now being shown across the country. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, it is going to be played at the Cube Microplex on Monday, February 27th at 8pm. Tickets are about £5, I understand. There will be a Q&A afterwards featuring local organisers, activists and sustainable investors. The film does also talk to oil company executives, economists, workers, scientists and pension fund managers um, to try and get all sides of the story and work out what is feasible, what is a what is um, possible in terms of decreasing our dependency on oil. So that is almost the end of the show. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to Dougal for coming in. Um, thank you for listening. Without you, there is no show. Um, please do join us next week when we are going to be talking to Ed Morrison from Roots Allotments, which is a local project that aims to make allotment growing more accessible for everyone and cut down on the long waiting lists that you can face if you want to sign up for a council allotment. Next up on BCFM after the news is lunchtime with Tristan B. So keep it locked to BCFM for more tunes and more chat. And that's all from me, Shona Gentry, for now. So please take care, have a good day, look after yourself, look after the planet and look after each other.